Welcome back, friends, to the Fun Employed Podcast, your weekly arts and culture podcast where your wildly underqualified hosts talk shit and expect you to listen. You're with your regular hosts, Seb, Sophie, and Fran. Welcome back, everyone. Yeah, thank <laughs> Had you. Had a bit of a restless morning. Yeah. How has everyone's <laughs> week me. been? Sophie? Mine was not good mental health wise, mm. to be honest. It was quite, as I said to Sev before, as Miley would say, it's always going to be an uphill battle. Peaks and valleys, baby. Exactly. So, but we're going to the beach today for the weekend. So mm. It's on that the up and exciting. up. <laughs> that is like the best serotonin booster ever. Wow. A natural one. Yeah. <laughs> Vitamin yeah. D, who is she? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I literally have no clue who that is. <laughs> Brian, how about you? How was your week? Oh, look, I expected to have like a really terrible come down, uh, but I was actually fine. Um, I worked out a bit. Um, I just got off the phone with my doctor, confirmed that I don't have any STIs, which is shocking Yay. to me. Yay. We'll put in an applause <laughs> track <Yes>. there. <laughs> <laughs> literally, he's like, how can I help you today? And I was like, do I have any venereal diseases? He's like, no, not at all. And I'm like, delighted. <laughs> <laughs> we all had a little party while someone Yeah, no, everyone's just like applauding Yay. throughout the apartment. Yeah. Oh. What's you, Fran? How was your week, sir? My week has been pretty average. I've Ooh. turned to a matchmaking service, I think. Ooh. Oh, yes. Well, not quite. Tell us your yet. success story. What are your stats? Well, what are your I've only had stats? one success story, and oh. it has been a friend match. Oh, my not God. Is it us? Yeah. <laughs> it's, two. it's two if you count YouTube. Yeah. Is it Fran and I? <laughs> I just had a friend who moved to Amsterdam, and then I had another friend who already lived in Amsterdam. Oh. And I was like, you guys should hang out. So these two friends, they are, like, now friends, and they're, like, integrating on Instagram. They're assimilating. <laughs> They're becoming one. Yeah, they're like interacting on Instagram. I'm like, well, yes, it's working. And I've got a couple of romantic matches on the go. Yes. Yeah. You literally always have romantic matches on the go, though. Yeah. Because Sev's a meddler. <laughs> I am. Yeah. I am. We love him. So I was like, oh, this person started following me. And I was like, oh, really? Really? How weird. It's not like I've been telling him to follow you. Um, so, wow, a surprisingly good week for you two. Glad to yeah. hear it. Wish I could. <laughs> so sorry. Sorry. So sorry. Anyways, this week we are actually talking about the very gorgeous romantic film, mm. Call Me By Your Name. Mm. Do you want to give us a synopsis of the movie? Yeah, yeah, I will. Um, so it is just like a very, it's just a love story, really, between Elio and Oliver. Um, and it's set in Italy in 1983. Yeah. Um, and it's just like basically a love. It's just a love story. It's a queer mm. love story taking yeah. place over six, six weeks. Six weeks mm. of summer. And Oliver is Elio's father's like research fellow assistant. Um, and they. They touch buds. Yeah. It's really exciting. Yeah. Exciting. 2017, I believe it came out. Yeah. Which is the glorious Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet. And Army Hammer. <laughs> <laughs> the least romantic name ever. I think, that, um, I think this was filmed like right after that period where Timothy Chalamet gave all those women comedy. Oh my god. <laughs> my ah. favorite Timothy Chalamet story. Hilarious. Like, we love him, him. Giving like a ton of people comedy. And the fact that there was one girl who knew she got chlamydia from Timothy Chalamet, and she still went back for seconds. <laughs> I mean, have you seen that gorgeous, gorgeous face? This is, okay, this is my thing. Okay, but he's so frail. He's so frail. I feel like if I were to see on his face, he would collapse. Just crumble. I would break his just, just crumble. Just crumble, young man. Like, Although, that being said, I don't know if I could handle going out with someone who is, like, truly more beautiful than I am. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I think I'm more beautiful than Timothy. <laughs> Well, it's called confidence, babe. No, my mom, like, so I watched this movie with my mother, which is already, like, an interesting facet in and of itself. Because it's, it like, is. such a horny movie. Um, but, like, I've watched multiple films with Timothy Chalamet in them with my mom, and she's always like, why do young women think this man's attractive? I hate him. I hate this little this little ferret on he's the such a, He's such a soft boy, I suppose. Yeah, mm. she's just like, I'm too old for this shit. I can't mm. find that boy attractive. How old yeah. even is... is- Timothy's older than us. I think he's like twenty five. Yeah, he is twenty five. Mm. He's a yeah. he's a cute little, little 
sexy little thing. <laughs> so that being said, I don't think that he knows how to kiss just based on those paparazzi photos of Lily Rose Depp. Oh, yeah. Do you remember Ew, that? He yeah, was just that like, was great. Uh, but in the movie, his mouth was, I feel like it was very open. Went, he went in for the open mouth kiss uh, first off, uh, which is quite a <laughs> bold move. Yeah, it was really bold. I didn't enjoy that. Yeah, look, I okay. Because did everybody watch this movie when it came out in cinemas? I didn't. I didn't. This is the oh. first time I've seen it. So What? Yeah. Oh, my, oh God. my God. I saw this in cinemas. So, Chloe Sophie's the least gay of us all. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I watched it, actually, when I was coming out from Exchange. I, like, taunted it and was, like, Cute. watching it on the plane. We'll redact that out. <laughs> <laughs> For legal reasons, I watched it online. <laughs> I thought you were just going to say you watched it on the plane. Yeah, that's no, what I thought you It wasn't was, yeah. on the plane. It was on my laptop. And I was, like, <laughs> watching it. And you were just, like... Yeah, hang my ass out yeah. on the plane with like 600 people going to China. But yeah, did you watch it in the film? In the cinemas? I did. So I saw this movie in cinemas with um, a gay man who like was one of my closest friends. And we yeah. saw it together because we were both like, you know, this book was great. We love queer stories. Let's go together. Um, and we both came out of the cinema broken. <laughs> yeah. I think that actually one thing that I did want to talk about is like part of the reason we picked this movie is we wanted to talk about the queer tragedy trope. Yeah. But watching it again, it didn't feel as tragic as the first time I watched it. I don't think it felt. I don't. Th- I wouldn't call it tragic. No. no. I wouldn't call it. Tragic. It felt like normal, and I was mm. like, "Oh, wait, no, it, this is fine. Like, yeah. I'm still upset." Can we first maybe discuss, and since you said you saw it at the cinema, can we mm. first maybe discuss the technical aspect and get that out of the way? Oh, my God. Because technically it was a beautiful movie. Yeah, it was it like, is. and I can't remember the name of the director. He's an Italian man. Lu- Luca Guadagnino. Yes. Yeah. Um, and But it really, the way that it was shot, it was, seemed like it was truly like a love letter to like Northern um, Italy. Like oh, the yeah. scenery was just beautiful. Everything about incredible. this film is like so romantic. Yeah. So you have like all the costume design, yeah. all the music, the Army Hammer's testicles. Yeah, the yeah. film like it was like shot in thirty five millimeter film. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, um, the whole movie and it just felt like it did like feel like a love letter to Northern Italy, but it felt like a love letter in general. Like yeah. it really did. Yeah, I think it felt like a love letter to summer, a love letter to the eighties, yeah. and I think very much like a love letter to first loves. That's yeah. very true. Yeah, I. But also, I want to say I and I watched the interview afterwards where. Um, you literally just said his name, but I've already Luca Luca Guadagnino said um, that he wanted it to be like more realistic. And so that's why it was shot like single camera. They didn't do multiple shots because he yeah. wanted it to be like how the human eye would see something. Yeah. And I found it, honestly, I found it kind of jarring. And I mm. guess you get used to speaking like the language of film. That's in quotation marks. So it sounds really wanky. But you get. <laughs> and Alexi Toliopoulos were here. <laughs> but you know how you get used to it. And so you kind of, even though like none of, well, Fran would be the most, but none of us are really like film experts. And, but noting like, um, when a shot is like really wide and you don't expect it to be. And even things like when like when they're first meeting and they sat at that coffee shop outside and you could hear the cars going past. Oh, oh no, my I god, love that. I stuff love like that. that. I, I was like, this is like quite jarring. Like it's Oh, notable. did it take you out? It did, I think. I did. Oh, wow. Like I understand that the point of it is like to make it like more realistic, mm. but I'm still aware that I'm watching a movie. Yeah. You know? I wasn't immersed enough to think like Wow, and I'm there, I'm there, and I can hear the cars in the background. <laughs> the one thing that I actually found really jarring in terms of, like, uh, like camera choice, which I was like, why the fuck did you do that? The switch to handheld. What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, that the was fuck? a bit interesting. There, there's two different scenes where they switch to handheld instead of, like, the normal dolly shots that they're doing, and it's so fucking shaky and there is no reason <laughs> wait which ones i actually didn't pick up on them so. yeah the timid the timote specific <laughs> shots um i think that oh fuck i can't remember i feel like it was a movie. it was a like a quite quite tight on his face i can't remember specifically it was a close-up shot yeah, it, was it was dark it was a close-up oh, was the last one when like visions of video no that's that's not handheld so that's oh, okay. that's a totally yeah. stable shot that yeah. shot was amazing. Um, also, something I noticed was very short scenes. I feel like mm. it was a lot of cuts. And that, again, that also kind of brought me out where I was like, oh, blah, blah. Okay. But I think that's also, <laughs> so I've read the book. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and Have I you read the book, sir? No, I haven't read mm-hmm. the book. Because also, Andre Asman is in the movie, the author of the book. He does make a cameo. He is, um, so you know the scene with Sonny and Cher, the gay couple that oh. come to visit? Yeah. He is Sonny. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. nice. That's not their actual name. <laughs> I know that's yeah. not their actual name, but I forgot what they were. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like, because when I read the book after watching the movie, I was like, if anything, more impressed by the filmmaking. Because that would have been a really difficult text to adapt. And I understand mm. why they got Best Adapted Screenplay, why that Oscar was really deserved. Because a lot of the scenes in Call Me By Your Name, the novel, are really interior. Like, it's all just, like, Elio's personal thought process. Mm. And there's not a lot of action. So, like, you're basically having to cut together all of these, like, small little scenes where he's, like, falling in love with Oliver. Because that's sort of, like, because you don't get to see, like, the thought process that's happening in the book that ties everything together. Mm. Because they made the, I think, very appropriate choice to avoid voiceover because voiceover is fucking lazy yes i saw another like interview that said that in the first drafts of the um screenplay they did have a voiceover but yeah. in the final movie they ended up cutting it and it was just a third party voiceover that's another thing that annoys me when i'm like who even is this random yeah. person us with love life yeah <laughs> who is this person why are they talking so about annoying. it <laughs> yeah i think it's really interesting like i want to compare this film with normal people oh i kind all, of felt that i feel like and not just, the, not just the sit, um, filming in italy part yeah no, <laughs> but i felt like it was done really similarly to like normal people was done really similarly to her call me by your name mm. and i also like they didn't have a voiceover in that one yeah. and that they also like had so much subtext they didn't get to include mm. into the film but they did like still somehow yeah because you've got to just like yes. let Arnie Hammer yeah. and Timothy Chalamet's eyes tell you what's going on that's mm. so true yeah well shall we get into the the meat, meat and potatoes, potatoes <laughs> friend would say. my first and I like took some notes as I was watching it first note Elio is my Nuno's name that was just the first, <laughs> first thing I wrote down so I was like Cute little shout out. Love Second that. thought, <laughs> Army Hammer is fucking hot. Yeah, so hot, so, so hot. hot. Oh my like god, so it's incredibly like, look at that hot. Man do anything like hot, fucking, fucking damn human. bitch. It's oh, so hot. Yeah. Sorry, that was a very unhinged moment for us all. He's such a hot man. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Extreme. Oh. <laughs> Armand. <laughs> like that, that point where they're like in the bed and it's just Army Hammer's bum. Oh my god. Like, oh. <laughs> oh. This is happening. <laughs> but he was just like a very, like, like Oliver's character is like such a, I don't know how to explain it. Confident. Confident and charismatic person, like engrossed in yeah i think that army mm-hmm. hammer i do want to talk about the casting because mm-hmm. i think that timothy chalamet and army hammer are amazing in this film i think they yeah. do fantastically i think they have great chemistry but i do think it's interesting that two heterosexual men were cast for this queer love story i think that is interesting they did have wonderful chemistry but yes like would not wouldn't this have been a perfect but I guess maybe they're playing into that, like it's their first, yeah, mm. their first experience, like in this feeling like queer, like in the feeling like they're in a queer space. And yeah, maybe they want yeah. to explore that. Because I know that Timothy Chalamet, he—I <laughs> <laughs> can't say his name without laughing. Um, he was chosen for this movie before he, like, actually like graduated from high school. So he, wow. Luca Guadagnino basically like picked him out when he was seventeen. Like, you're going to play this role because this movie got stuck in production hell for a very long time. I'm not shocked by that. <laughs> yeah, the pre-production took a million years because mm. like, the script was hard to adapt. You had to get studios on board, get casting, blah, blah, blah. But like, I think that Timmy, I think because he looks so young. He does look really young. That yeah. like, I think it's like more believable for him. Yeah. And I don't know, Arnie Hammer, I think it's because he only, um, the only other like major role that I can think of him in is the Winklevoss twins in The Social Network. That. He was oh. also in On the Basis of Sex, which is like a oh, biopic Ruth about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, yeah, and he plays um, her husband. Oh, what? he was very good in that as well. Yeah, when I think of Army Hammer, I just think of like frats. Yeah, um, he's got a fratty energy. He does a bit, but um, I think I think oh, him and his wife got divorced. <gasps> 
know. <laughs> You're joking. Oh my god, seven friends' faces just then was like, we have a chance. <laughs> we have a chance with this man in America. Literally, Seb just like covered the side of his mouth, like, time to start planning. Yeah, but there's like something about Army Hammer and like Oliver's character in general, mm. like, as a man who's attracted to men, like, mm. there's just like something naturally sexy about him. Mm. And I think that's why it works because, like, it's like, Kind of just like a sexually ambiguous, but like still confident and yeah. like charismatic person. Mm. And I think that's the attraction of it. And I understand, like, yeah, it could have been a gay man playing that. Yeah. But like, I think the other part of Call Me By Your Name is that it's like all about like human emotion too. It's not just like particularly a queer love story. Like, it could have been anyone playing that. And I feel like mm. if it was done well and the acting was done well, yeah. it could be like it would have still had the same success. Mm, yeah. Did either of you think at first, that were you, like, annoyed by Oliver at first? Or did you immediately think that, as a character, he was attractive? In the book, I found him really irritating. And he's supposed to be, because yeah. it's very much like a Lizzie and Darcy um, sort of uh, dynamic yeah. that they're meant to have. Mm. Of, like, they kind of don't like each other at the beginning. Yeah. And they yeah. find the other very irritating. But I think because it's Army Hammer, I was like, oh, also, it's it. like the American man. He's kind of intoxicating as an on-screen presence. Oh my god, he was so entitled. It mm. just really frustrated me. Later, when he later, um, later. oh my god, later when he <laughs> mansplains about the etymology of apricot, I was like, that scene. No, mouth. that scene is so important because his dad, his dad was is testing, testing him. him. Yeah, no, I see, this is the thing. The as somebody who spends too much time with academics, this is how they fucking are. I was like. Oh, yeah, I see you. That was, like, a moment of, like, pure academic satire that I <laughs> deeply, deeply enjoyed. Yeah. It was, like, I um, like that because it, it, I I think it, yeah, I just don't think you picked up on, like, <laughs> what it was meant to be, to be honest. I guess. At the end, I understand where he was, like, he did the, you passed. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, at the end, I was, like, Line okay. Colors. Yeah, whatever he said, yeah. yeah. I was, like, okay, but just, uh, he was like, oh, I'm just going to, oh, this is me. I've studied philosophy. Like, just going to get into, like, some etymology and Latin roots. Yeah. As somebody who's deeply pretentious, um, <laughs> I felt represented. In this <laughs> <movie>. um, <laughs> As someone who's into very pretentious men, I felt very horny. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if this is, I, um, as we've touched on, I am a country girl. I don't know if this is, like, a chip on my shoulder country thing. When people get pretentious, I'm just like, who are you? Who are you? Who is this for? Who cares? Yeah, no, <laughs> this may be a, a this may be a personal pet peeve. <laughs> no, I think that's a fair that's personal pet peeve to have because I think that a lot of like a lot of people's criticism of this movie was that like it's so fucking pretentious and it's like mm. definitely like very far up its own ass. Yeah. And I think it's allowed to be because I <laughs> that, think that it's yeah. also I think by having this story taking place alongside like artifacts of you know Greek and Roman classics. Mm is really beautiful. Mm. And by, like, having that scene where they're digging up the statue of Venus and, yeah. you know, Oliver extends the arm of her to shake. With that was hilarious. I think it's hilarious, <laughs> and it's also just, like, a very, like, beautiful, like, visual metaphor. Yeah. Not gonna lie, I, like, felt very emotional at that point. Yeah, I felt I was like, I don't even care for ancient history that much. But it was, like, a very beautiful scene to watch, and yeah. I felt like that was, like, I think there's a reverence that with was the like camera. a moment. Mm. That was like the moment I think that happened. And also, there's like so many moments in the film where it's like kind of like the start, mm. and you're like picking up the pieces to start this, like putting together the love story. Yeah, like it's when they're reading the book. Oh. Like his mum and dad are reading the book to him. That's and... so oh my god, that scene! My Such heart a... just melted it's a when he just scene. like lays on his mum's lap, and oh my gosh, them as a family. Yeah, I think we need gorgeous. to talk about that family dynamic for like a long time. <laughs> it was I'm... incredible They're, and then like on top of that knowing it's in the 80s like they yeah. are just gorgeous open accepting yeah. just European European yeah. <laughs> but I think there's also an element here of like this is they, this is set just before the AIDS crisis yeah. like where it's yeah. like it's bad to be gay but it's not as bad as it's about to be yeah, yeah. and I think that that bit of like historical understanding is like really important to how the film plays out mm. because I so I watched this movie with my mum who's like nearly 60 and she spent the whole movie really waiting for them to get found out and bashed. Like, that's where she thought oh, it was wow. going to go. Yeah. Because, like, you know, my – so we have queer family members. My mother's best friend and my godfather is a gay man. 
And, like, you know, she was alive in the 80s and in her 20s. Mm. So for her, she was, like, very much watching it with this, like, sense of fear of, like, what's going to happen to these men when they're going to be found out. Which I think also is, like, really, um, like, indicative of the genre of queer love stories where Mm. it needs to end in tragedy. That's I was about to say, like, that's exactly what happens. Like, what every other queer film feels like. It's like this, like, personal struggle of, like, coming out and being, like, bashed and there's always an antagonist and, like, who's, like, tormented. And there's always this, like, idyllic scene in the middle where, like, the the two protagonists fall in love and it's gorgeous and, like, the, and then it all falls apart and it, like, that didn't, quite happen in this yeah. movie no, there was no antagonist in this movie and no. i think that's something that like queer love stories don't get whereas mm. like in like straight hetero relationships on screen there's never any like bad person like there's yeah, so many like films, anti-their yeah, relationship there's never yeah. any, like in unless it's like my best friend yeah like, <laughs> like for example like i'm gonna bring back to normal people there's not yeah. really any like antagonists in that whole mm. book or movie, TV show. Yeah. Or in One Day, like, by Devin Nichols. There's oh. no antagonist in that. Yes. Those yeah. are just, like, two love stories and, like, two individual people falling yeah. in love mm. and, like, navigating that. And I think that's something that, like, Call Me By Your Name capitalised off because mm. it doesn't have that. It's like, this is a story of these two individuals and the externals actually don't matter for them. Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoy that. I do get where your mum was coming from about having that, like, sense of impending doom. I kind of mm. had it as well. Yeah. And especially when they were in um, Bergamo and they were, yeah. like, yeah. holding hands and dancing in the street. I was like, no, please, yeah. no, I'm scared for you. Forgot, I, thought, I forgot what happened in that scene. And yeah. I thought they got bashed. Yeah, no, they and don't get bashed. I, they just like, dance with the people they just in the dance, car. They just dance to the psychedelic furs. Yeah. And Elio has a little cheeky Vaughn. That <laughs> Vaughn was hilarious. He was just, so, like, funny. So Um, So I think that, much like Seb with Jennifer's body, this movie isn't really for me. It didn't especially speak to me or especially resonate with me. I was like, this is a very beautiful movie. It's very slow paced. Oh, yeah. Extremely slow paced. But I felt while I was watching it, I was like, this isn't having the, like, heart-wrenching reaction for me that I know it would for other people and I could like kind of look upon that feeling like removed from it and thinking like I can um objectively see how this would be such an important movie for so many people yeah but yeah for me I just kind of felt like cool I enjoyed it (laughs) yeah but yeah it wasn't it wasn't really a big a big thing for me I want to ask did you cry during the scene with his father when his father reveals that yeah. he always knew i did yeah. i did and that scene and it, i feel like you'll both laugh but what resonated with me was the scene with um they were all having dinner together and it was two like relatives who they didn't really touch on and they were just oh my having God, just that argument that in extreme <laughs> fast-paced like argument in italian yeah and seeing like and obviously elio's parents and elio could like understand but oliver speaks like very limited italian yeah and so he picked up probably like one word in five or one word in 20 <laughs> that was the part i related to <laughs> Mom and I were both like, this is when we go home and so, visit Apsios. Like, oh, this is yeah. how it it's, is. That was the bit to me that I was like, that is so true. And then yeah. the, and them saying, like, well, let's ask what he thinks. And then and then the other, one outsider being like, what the fuck? Yeah, no, <laughs> and then Elliot's mum being like, he's American. And so they're yeah. like, no, Americano. Yeah. <laughs> Americano, Americano. Mm. That was exactly, like, that is exactly how I felt. And I definitely resonated with, like, the scenery. It looks very visually similar to where my family in um, – uh, Northern Italy and um, uh, Italian Swiss family live. Yeah. It looks so yeah. so similar. So yeah. that part, I was like, oh. Let's talk about that scene with his dad. With his dad. Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you about that scene as well because I knew that would have hurt. It was, yeah. Look, I think it's like a tough scene to watch, and I was like super emotional watching it. And like, I'm gonna be honest, the language when I first watched it was really confusing. Mm. But like when I rewatched it this week, I was like, just kind of coming out is such an important part of like being young but also like on the same time like in my understanding i like never found it necessary Mm. or like i've never found it not necessary but like it's not like something important because it just kind of others you yeah yeah and so that's why i hate Mm. coming out Mm. like that's why i love that scene so much because like just a beautiful understanding. Yeah. yeah. And, like, I'm getting emotional because it right? was a very emotional scene. It was. And even how his dad 
But I love that his dad didn't other him. His dad was like je- talking about heartbreak in general yeah. and yeah. saying like, I understand you're heartbroken and not making it about like, yeah, not yeah. really yeah. making it about it. the fact that they're not like others. It's the fact yeah. that exactly. their love is worth exactly the same and it's yeah. just as important and special. Yeah. I think that like that and him, like his father saying to him, it's like, I got close to what you and Oliver had, but I've never had, I never got to have that moment. Yeah. Like, that was beautiful. And it I was, think yeah, very special. For, for myself, like who, like, you know, I grew up queer, but like in an environment that was like very comfortable in a space where I never really had to like formally come out. Yeah. And like my, like I have other family members who are queer where it's like never really had to be said. But our parents like understood but, like, you can't have, like, an emotional conversation that, like, really delves into, like, the heartache of it. Like, I don't think that that's a conversation that many queer people could feel like they could have with their father. Yeah. And to see that that kind of connection and empathy and love is possible in a parent and to see that on screen was just, like, gut-wrenching. Like, I was mm. sobbing when I saw it in cinemas. Like, it, and I cried again watching it with my mom. <laughs> and she had to just, like, gently, like, pat me on the shoulder, like, it's okay. It's a movie. <laughs> yeah. I think there was a point where, um, in that speech, he's like, don't, like, fight it or something like yeah. that. I can't remember the exact wording, but, mm. like, that just felt like such a supportive parent. Yeah. Like, and it, it was like, gonna be okay yeah there's nothing different and he's like just heartbroken for yeah for a love loss yeah Yeah, that's so true i wrote down the wording because it like was so intense for me we rip out a part of ourselves to be Mm. cured of things faster and are burnt out by the age of 30 and have less to offer each time we start with someone new oh god so eloquent oh god i feel like that part and again i don't really have the um lived experience of having to like live my life as a um queer person and like interacting with family members and with that like weighing on you and stuff but it um it it, like really resonated with me on a different way just a way of having a bond like that with your parent like that is so rare for any person I think to have like that close of a bond and be that like connected and in sync with your your father yeah. especially especially with your father yeah who is like so yeah they're as a stereotype yeah. <laughs> like less often gonna say stuff like such that such an angel angel oh, man such an angel <sighs> both of the parents yeah. like they had an understanding that didn't need to be like spoken about yeah even when um like the mrs palman is like oh so and so is going to italy um to Bergamo. yeah shouldn't Elio, shouldn't like, Elio go with him yeah, oh, yeah the fact that it's just like beautiful. a gentle hand across like shouldn't they go together and it's mm. like it's unspoken but they both know yeah. yeah and they're like let them have this and let them have that in the privacy of their own relationship yeah. I yeah. thought that was just like a beautiful touch I was like stop it stop <laughs> loving your son so much, <laughs> um, so much. I think that okay before we get to like the to break up the emotion I think we gotta talk about the peach scene for a minute <laughs> that was hard to watch. It was hard to keep my eyes on the screen. <laughs> wow. I know. So, Can I, uh, well, I'm so Fran, you have read the book. Yes. Oh, and you've both seen it before, I yeah. suppose. You read the book before you saw the movie. No, I read the book after I watched the movie. Well, both of you, when you watched the movie, did you understand immediately what he was going to do? Yes. Did you not? No. I was oh, like, at first, I was just like, no, why I is this s- boy mangling this peach? <laughs> And then I was just like, no. you're dripping juice all over yourself. And then when he pulled the seed out, I was like, oh. Okay, that's <laughs> right. I was confused why he was pulling the seed out. But then when he pulled the seed out, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, oh when God. he pulled the seed out, I was and like, then I was ridiculous. I never wanted to fuck a peach more. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> Every time I see peaches, I'm like, maybe tonight's the night. So, I've never done it. <laughs> no, well, I don't have a penis, so I can't fuck a peach. Um, something that I want to clarify about the original text is that it is, like, so much more confronting in the book because, mm. like, Oliver just fully eats the peach yeah, after he that. does the – after he, like, jizzes in the peach. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, you know – Oliver says something, like, after I'm gone, I want to have a part of you in my stomach, but, like, I can't 
to. Yeah. That can't be taken away. And I'm like, you don't shit it out. (laughs) (laughs) Hang on. Hang on. That's a fibrous peach. Um, Like, I think it's like, it's a visual metaphor that I think like makes more sense in the literary because it's like less um, grotesque, I think. Uh, But I do think it's like on screen, you're like, oh my God, Timothy Chalamet, get your dick out of that. Peach. And even he doesn't even like put it in the bin or like throw it out the window. Just he puts it just, puts it, just puts it next to him. I'm like, and then he takes a nap. And I'm like, <laughs> tuck it out by this. And then, oh, I just wish we got to see all the eat the fucking. I know. Eat. There's a part of me that still wanted to see it. I still wanted to oh, see the. Peach I still wanted to see him do it. I was like, do not. Yeah, no, I think it was just so horny. It was so horny. Like. And yeah, I'd like to reiterate again, I watched this movie with my mom. I love that that you was just, you're like, what the fuck? This is grotesque and like, mm. it's ridiculous. And then Oliver's about to eat it. And I don't know, you guys had different reactions to it. But I was like, do fucking not, do not. And then, I but the way that it like flipped so quickly mm. that they were like, fine, if Oliver's trying to like hold Elliot down. And then, then Elliot just... Like breaks crumbled down. in yeah. his arms. It was beautiful, and just okay. when he said, "I don't want you to go," yeah, and also I'm just like up right now, I know, right? It's just like <laughs> the shame that he's holding inside of himself about like his love for Oliver and the things that he wants, even yeah. his horniness itself. <laughs> yes, no, like that sexual desire in and of itself mm. is something to be ashamed of, and like yeah. he's gone upstairs into the attic in a space that nobody else goes to to indulge in that desire and in that fantasy mm. so i i still think it's like it's even though it's gross it's still like this beautiful scene that like fits it does fit so well the whole narrative mm. and oh have we reached the point in the recording where we can top off and talk about the final scene um Yes. Oh, one thing. Mm. I loved how um, Marcia, like, mm. and how we were talking about the antagonist, she could have become that. Yeah. It's like that, oh, that moment when she was staring at him, they were so far away from each other, and she was like, mm. Elior, am I your girl? I was oh. like, oh, you poor beautiful thing. But then later on, like, yeah, she could have done that. She could have been angry at him. Mm. She could have outed him. She could have done whatever. But she was just like, let's be friends. Yeah. And Elior is like, Forever, and she said, "Yeah, forever." Yeah, I think that was that's how so a lot of sweet. hags and fags come together. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was so sweet, and I loved how yeah, like what Seb was saying, like it could have, they could have taken it that way. Yeah, yeah. and but because no, Marcia yeah. and Kiara both could have been like so vindictive, yeah, towards either Elia or Oliver, and mm. neither of them chose to do that, and I. Really, like, I just really appreciated it with him. Yeah. Hmm. The space of <laughs> I don't know if they addressed that Kiara knows. Do you think that she did? I think that Kiara probably knows. Because mm. Kiara and Marcia are best friends. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And, like, Marcia's clearly worked it out. Mm. Like, because the thing is, I think that the best thing about this story is that, like, everyone knows. Yeah. yeah. It's very obvious that everyone knows. Mm. And everyone's yeah. just sort of, like, letting them do what they need to do. Mm. And I love that. Mm. Yeah. Okay, yes, let's move on to the final scene. Oof. Oof. Okay. I just want to talk about the soundtrack really quickly. Oh my god, Mm -hmm. Sufjan! He's like, Sufjan Stevens is like... The queer sad boy. Oh. (laughs) And like, the part, I think when Mystery of Love plays over when they're in Bergamo, Mm. that's like so like... Yeah. Oh, it's just like, the way that song makes you feel, Mm. and like, Compose so against hopeful. yes against like mm. them in Bergamo, like being in love and like mm. having fun. It like is just a beautiful yeah. like just a beautiful scene yeah. on, t- on mm. screen. And then when you put in like visions of Gideon at the end, oh. the last one, and it's like Elio in front of the fire, crying, crying, and like they've had like this huge discussion already about like with the like Mr. Parman and Elio about like I guess being, feeling your yeah, feelings, feeling your feelings, and it just feels like the most like just like yeah. the perfect way. And I think that it. also the fact that out of focus everything is continuing from Wolf. Yeah, like mm. his like his yeah, mother is setting still setting up. She's and... still setting up for Hanukkah. Like there's like you know Mafalda's still there and she's cooking, and he's just sitting there in his emotions, like just feeling. Yeah. And because visions of Gideon. Because you think it's the first time that you've heard it in the soundtrack when it shows up at the end, but it's not. 
Um, it came up earlier in the film, and they used the intro, and they cut it off before it gets to the lyrics. Oh. So you're actually ready for that song when it comes up unconsciously. Oh, so, sneaky. Sneaky, sneaky. So they use the intro to Visions of Gideon um, when Elio and Oliver are speaking on the deck at night outside. Oh, that scene was yeah. beautiful. And it stops, when, it stops when he walks back in. Oh. So you know the intro by the time mm. it comes to, like, Elio's true heartbreak, knowing that he'll never yeah. have Oliver again. Yeah. Like, oh, and Timmy, Timmy, looking at that fire, having a cry, that was a lot. It was a lot. I think that was hard to watch as well. Yeah. Um, I Like, you want to look away because it's, like, yeah. such a private moment. So they, private. So, so vulnerable. And, like, because I, I argued about this with my mother, um, that mum was like, oh, I don't think this was an Oscar-winning performance. So I was like, the crying scene, though? You didn't mm. feel everything that he was feeling in that moment, staring into that fire, thinking of all of every like moment of passion that he's just lost and will never be recovered. Mm. And on top of that, that scene being a one like there were no yeah. there were no cuts. Every, like we said, everything's going on in the background. It's mm. like they stay tight, tight on his face. Mm. It, I think it was definitely uh, It's like, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I've spoken about this with a friend of ours mm. who is also queer, and I think this scene really, like, I'm like, what is it? Yeah. Emotions and humanity. That's yeah. yeah. That's the word she used. Um, so, like, when you have this scene, it could be any, like, we've all, not all, and I haven't, because I've never been in a relationship <laughs> or been in love, mm. but, like, I'm sure you both have been in that moment mm. where you know, like, the person that you love is gone, and, like, mm. yeah. Because yeah. I think that it is a moment where you as an individual and as an audience member, not only are you feeling everything, all the loss that Elio has just experienced, but you can project all the loss that yeah. you as an individual have experienced in that mm, period. That's very true. And look at that heartache and see yourself. And I think that empathy is a huge factor in this movie working. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Like for you to see yourself in the heartbreak that they're experiencing is what, drives this film mm. i think another reason why it wasn't and it was, it's the same with normal people why it didn't like really really resonate and speak to me is because i feel like i haven't had that intense of a connection to anyone oh, like the yeah. connection that um oliver and elio have is just insane mm. like so it's oh my gosh like it's it's insane and the point where they get to call me by your name like they want to, I don't know, be the same person or like, mm-hmm. I'll be you and you be me. And yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've never, I think that's another reason why. And even that heartbreak at the end, like what you said, like, I feel, I've, you know, I've been broken up with and, you know, gotten over that. But I've never had that, that like visceral, guttural, like intense feeling where like your whole body is like aching and like truly breaking. Yeah. So I think that's another reason why I, it kind of made me sad that I was like, I wish that I could have this, like, it just, like, instant, like, insane yeah. connection with someone. Yeah. yeah. Can I ask Brad if you ever felt like that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's really tough when that dies. Because often, um, I think that something that the film, like, sort of acknowledges but doesn't really delve into is that connections like that are, like, obviously, like, really intense and beautiful and, you know, it's, like, this amazing, like, sort of, like, the whole body's on fire thing but it's also like so consuming to the point where it becomes really damaging Mm. and I think that it being limited to like a six-week summer really works for them realistically yeah um because I have had to try and like live through sustaining that for a year to two years and because the thing is that scene where Oliver sits in front of that fire and reflects on what he's lost is something that I had to go through like you know six or seven times with one person mm. like yeah. and it's oh fuck me man like <laughs> it hurts like nothing hurts more than losing somebody that you like you look at them and you're like I've never felt anything like this before and it like defies logic or any like academic understanding of like yourself and your life and your interests but like this person is just everything to you Mm. and it's terrible and awful (laughs) and it does fucking hurt but i think that there is um kind of like a privilege and a joy in having experienced it 
like you know there's always like better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all mm. but um i think there is like some truth in it where yeah mm. i feel like when i see my friends and it's if my friends go through a breakup at first you're like oh i know how awful this is for you but i'm really excited for you because you're gonna level up after oh yeah. This. yeah like this is gonna be so good for you once you get over it yeah yeah, yeah. it's always like this huge moment of growth um when you leave a relationship that's like all consuming mm. um and like obviously we don't get to see that yeah. in this film um though i'm very interested in what happens in the sequel that andre Asseman is releasing yeah I so there is that. a sequel novel where we find out like you know where oliver and elio end up so i think oliver gets divorced but mm-hmm. uh, maybe yeah. i'm just making assumptions <laughs> but yeah it's all a bit hectic mm-hmm. um but i would love 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 i'd also love to know if like elio ends up marrying a woman as well because it's pretty common yeah. of the time to do that yeah. um just to go backwards as well Sev, do you feel like you've had like that intense like like reaction and you know connection when you meet someone um absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> i fall in love with any man that's true like that like shout out to the boo bakers <laughs> yeah <stuff. laughs> shout out to me this week I'll get a I'll get two bagels actually. <laughs> you are keeping this business flirting. That's me flirting. <laughs> so like I can't I can't relate to that scene because I've never never felt like yeah. that. And like when you do, it's gonna suck. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like that's another conversation. Like there's so many there's not enough mm. TV shows that bring up um like queer identities mm. and queer love like that. Yeah, like so many of them are like romance yeah but it's like really kind of cringe to be honest to watch because mm. they're like mm. trying to fit in with like boy meets girl uh, oh my god funny hi we're talking about glee <laughs> <laughs> like that's I, don't, I just don't think that's a realistic like view of queer relationships no. in like the modern day no. every time it's like at all so mm. something that I wanted to ask, um, as we kind of move on to a bit more of the the, the lived queer experience and stuff, Ooh. I will be moderating because I can't obviously relate to this discussion. <laughs> Not obviously, but I cannot relate to this discussion. So I wanted to ask, I feel like from Jennifer's body, from Call Me By Your Name and a lot of like media that I have watched with um, queer relationship storylines, I feel like there's an undertone of, like, it's extremely intense in a way that, like, hetero relationships don't have. And um, I don't know if it's, like, in the way where I understand you because I understand myself kind of thing. And Mm. it's just in the way of you're also a queer man living in this world or you're also a queer woman living in this world and, like, having that huge thing to relate to each other about can either of you speak to that at all? Do you feel the like you, yeah, you felt that, or do you identify with that in real life? Yeah, I think that there's an element of like, I think part of what like drives that intensity, both like in the narratives and like in life, is that like there's an element of secrecy that mm. comes with like queer attraction, depending on where you're at in your life. So for me personally, like all of my like formative, uh, like romantic and sexual discovery experiences were with women, um, which is something that I only realized, like, very recently. Yeah, which is really interesting. Yeah, I was like, oh, hang on, because I lied to people about what my first kiss was for a very long time. Um, my first kiss was with a woman, with a girl who was in my grade five class, um, <laughs> who is, I think now, sadly, very closeted. Um, wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a bad time. And, like, you know, the first experiences of, like, sort of touching somebody else's body were, like, with a girl. Mm. And that was something, you know, like, I knew I couldn't tell anybody. But it was, like, this mind-blowing, like, you know, earth-shattering thing at the time. Because I was so young. I was, like, maybe 10 at the time. Yeah. 10 or 11. Um, and, like, any time I sort of, like, felt any sort of attraction to a woman, I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, should I indulge in this feeling? <laughs> and there's a party that, like, kind of wants to avoid it. Even though, like, I know that, like, no one gives a shit um, who I love. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I think there's definitely an element of, like, intensity. Mm. I think also there's another thing, whereas, like, sorry, like, when you're talking about, like, looking at a queer relationship, all you, like, kind of see represent, you don't really see any representation of you on screen or, like, in mm. text. So, like, your understanding of a relationship is how a hetero relationship works. Yeah. But, like, there's so many, like, shared experiences that you have that are so specific to being, like, a queer person, like, coming out to your parents mm. and, like, 
Like, I think also for you being a queer person who is also a migrant and a person mm. of color, like really informs that experience quite differently than like the average white gay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But like you get those experiences, and when you like meet someone, you like share all these things and mm. like put yourself out there, and it's so easy to just like yeah. push on and like be this intense yeah. like relationship because you feel like you know each other so much more than just like. Yeah, there's that queer yeah. expectation of vulnerability when you meet someone. Yeah, exactly. And it's like I have to share my like whole experience with you, yeah. and you like know, and like I think it's because like the other person inherently sort of understands that you had a shit time, like yeah. with your identity. There's like very few people that you meet who are queer had like an easy go of it mm. yeah. being queer. Yeah, that sounds very emotionally laborious. Like, would you say it's like um. Fran, I suppose you've like had kind of experiences in both. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but would you say that like queer relationships are like more emotionally laborious because you have to like be there for each other or even I think they're listen less, and understand? They're just so much scarier. Um, I think it's also mm. just because women are beautiful. Um, <laughs> women are beautiful yeah. and they are complex. Mm. Um, and I hate to sound like I'm Sandrist, but men are so simple. They are. Um, but <laughs> we said this before. We said so. <laughs> Men are so dumb. Men are so straightforward. Like, if I touch a man's leg, he's like, it's on. Yeah. <laughs> and it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, I could, like, literally kiss a woman's neck and she'd be like, ah, wow, so that's funny. so true. That, yes. It's so funny. And it's like, I'm gay. <laughs> Can we make out? This like, wasn't a friendly neck kiss. Oh, it's not friendly. Um, and I think that also, like, because that becomes an issue because, like, a lot of, um, like, a lot of young straight women, um, you know, not necessarily that they're trying to do any harm in their intent, like, will sort of, like, do, like, the queer exploration thing when they're very drunk at parties, and it's like, you know, I remember being a teenager and just sort of, like, waiting for the straight girls to get drunk enough so that they'd want to kiss me. Um, <laughs> I know exactly. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I would just sit and I would wait and be like... feel comfortable enough for experimentation and I knew that they were straight but like you know it was sort of a thing of like waiting for straight girls to come to me <laughs> I know that you're saying it in a laughing way but that just sounds so heartbreaking yeah you sort of know that like you know that it's fleeting and you know that in the morning like those girls don't want anything to do with you yeah that is awful I think that's a really good way to put it is like it's really it is really fleeting like mm. on a night out like romance and mm. like intimacy is like so I don't know, just like intertwined with like mm. being drunk, yeah. And like once you're not drunk, it's like different emotions; they just separate. Yeah. And like, yeah. I'll be honest, there's been I can't, <laughs> I cannot party with straight men anymore. Yeah, because, because they, I'm like, I fall in love, and also <laughs> they all want to fucking kiss you. I I yeah. fall in love, and I'm like, this is really unhealthy for me because yeah. you have no actual interest in me. No, but in my brain, I'm like, oh, this is this gorgeous. Like, I'm just associating my happiness with, like, being around, like, a man, which is, like, not true. And, like, it has, it takes me weeks after to be, like, am I actually into them or am I just, like... Am I just, am I, like, looking for a fleeting emotion? Yeah, exactly. I think there's very much an element of, like, when you party a lot, there is an element of, like, straight people will take advantage of you when they want to, like, either have a laugh or, Mm. like, give something a go. Yeah. It's just so tiring. It's not great. Um, And it's probably why I've, like, not been dating women. Because at least, like, I sort of, like, expect, like, I know how men are going to be shitty to me. Like, I've done it enough where I'm, like, Mm. I sort of know how to navigate that space. Whereas, like, oh, my God. Girls, they're complicated. They Mm. are complicated. And especially with um, women, I feel like it's so ingrained, like, into us that, like, men make the first move. Like, you've got to be cute and, like, submissive. And yeah. so that's probably also why you said, like, if you're kind of coming on to a woman, you don't do it in an aggressive way. No. So then they would be like, oh, this is, like, this is fun and safe. Like, yeah. I don't feel like I'm being pressured. <laughs> and another. And I, so I don't understand what's happening. <laughs> another aspect of that that I think has made it really difficult um, is I hate to gatekeep, but, like, there are so many fucking straight people at the beach. And, like, sometimes you have a moment where you're like, can I flirt with this person? 
like, can I flirt with this girl? Or is she just, like, here with her, like, fucking private school friends yeah. to, like, sort of gawk at the queers? Because mm. it does sort of feel uh, like, it yeah. feels like you're in a zoo and you're there for these people on display. Like, and it's like, you want to, like, you know, flirt and experience and, you know, have a moment with these other women. But you don't know if they're on your team anymore. That's so mm. true. And even in the way that, like, queer culture has been, like, gentrified yeah. and, like, now it's kind of cool and people, like, pick, like, these, like, fun parts of, like, queer culture to try on. Drag. Like, yeah, yeah drag. or And going to, like, um places that, like, the be which should be, like, a safe space for queer people. Yeah. And yet it's being inundated by the bloody heteros because you don't have yeah. every other place. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, like, and it, it's the thing that, like, you also can't enforce. Because yeah. Exactly. Yeah, the thing with the Beat true. and the Wickham is that, like, obviously they were made for queer people. And in their marketing and the way that they present themselves, it's, like, queer, like, this is a space for us. Yeah. But now straight people see that and go, like, oh, well, this is a place where, like, I'm not going to get sexually harassed. Yeah. yeah. Which is wild because, like, if there's any place that I'm going to get drugged, it's the beat. <laughs> yeah. I have a hilarious, hilarious story Please. to tell. So uh, we all are friends with a boy who comes from Long Reach. Oh. From way out there. Way out there, yeah. And on my... On my birthday, we decided to go to the beat. Oh, honey. Mm-hmm. And this boy walked in, and he wasn't being homophobic. He was just like, holy shit, I didn't fucking realise this was a gay club. What? So And hilarious. I was like, girl. <laughs> girl, how? And he was like, oh my god, I didn't realise. <laughs> but like... He wasn't like like he was actually really understanding. He's like, "How do, am I like fine to be here?" Oh, that's I was like, oh, we love him. I was like, yeah. "Oh, you, it's fine. You it's fine. Stay. You're also you're with me. Also, like, don't bash anyone. No <laughs> bashing. I know you're from the country, but no bashing. <laughs> wow, even that is like very kind of rare to come across. Someone yeah. to be like, "Is it okay for me to be in this space?" Yeah. And like really yeah. actually questioning it. Yeah, I think even as like even as a bisexual woman, you have moments where you're like, "Am I supposed to be here?" Like, there's definitely some gatekeeping that goes on where it's like, lesbians don't want you, Um, gay men think that you're a straight woman, he's like, you know, piggybacking on, like, the drag race popularity, and it's like, no, I've been gay a long time. (laughs) Yeah, and I guess that's another thing where in, like, other times it's kind of a privilege to be, like, quote-unquote straight passing, passing. But I think, sorry, this is, like, a very long tangent off. No, go. Go But I think that, like, sexuality in, like, today is just, like, very much on a spectrum, mm-hmm. which I think we all agree on. And I don't think anyone can like fully say that they are like a straight person. Like, yeah, that's people so who true. say they're one hundred percent straight are lying. Yeah, <laughs> and it annoys me because usually it's men, and I'm just like, can you just get past this toxic masculinity for one second? You can't tell me that you wouldn't fuck Leo DiCaprio in 1999. <laughs> it just yeah. makes me angry because I'm like, you're just lying if you're saying that any random person is as good looking mm. as Leo DiCaprio in the 90s. Like, yeah. you're just lying. You're just lying. Sorry to interrupt, sir. Sorry, I just don't agree. Leo DiCaprio was never hard. Whoa! Whoa! This is our second Meghan Markle moment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, you two. What? His, it's just not hard. His gorgeous blue eyes. His baby blue. Him in, in Romeo, Romeo Plus Juliet. Oh you both God. know I hate twinks. <laughs> I will say that I think that Leo is like a rock and twink. Oh yeah, for sure. And so is Timothée. (laughs) Timothée is our Timothée is our generation's Leo. I agree with you. Yeah. And that's why he can be polarizing because he's such a little weedy bitch. (laughs) But do you have do you want to continue on your yeah, yeah, cool. that was actually it. (laughs) Like sexuality is just like so diverse now, and like like wide broad and like ranging everywhere yeah and i think you can't like really say that someone's not straight or like i think there's also an element here of like so seb and i are really speaking in like binaries of men and women right now yeah and that's but there are a lot of people who don't identify as either male or female and identify as non-binary and those people are my close friends Mm. and like there are definitely people in the, in the queer community who are non-binary or are, like, gender non-conforming that also find it really difficult to, like, fit into a space of, like, 
desire and attraction for other members of the queer community because they don't sort of know how to box themselves. And that can be really, really difficult um, because I know that I, – I can name her. Uh, my very close friend, Monica, um, identifies as non-binary. And when we – because we met in uni and now it's like watching her queer journey change and like – identify like realizing that she no longer really identifies as much with femininity as she did as a teenager and also like growing up in an environment where lesbianism was very much down upon um and is now in like a very comfortable partnership with another non-binary person and it's like nice to see because mm-hmm. like i sort of wasn't expecting a success story and then i was like oh shit these people love each other yeah, that's awesome. yeah. and it's beautiful to see and i will clear the mentioning of her name before we publish the episode <laughs> i'll send her a text <laughs> um but yeah that's another thing where um it, and it's really sad within like the lgbtq plus community that even within this community of like oppressed people mm. there's still like power dynamics and like weird like oppression like towards other people mm. And it's really heartbreaking to think, like, that you understand what it's like. Yeah. (laughs) And it's, like, bodybuilding white gays are the fucking worst for it. Mm, The worst. The worst. Like, they're the ones who are gatekeeping. They're the ones that don't want, like, one, they don't want people who aren't fit, which is crazy. Mm. Like, and this is a huge element that I remember speaking about with Kai. Yeah. Um, really early on when we had like graduated from high school, it was like these spaces aren't made for me. Like mm. as a young queer man who's like not like only obsessed with the gym, yeah. like yeah. and it doesn't want people of color, it doesn't want lesbians, it doesn't want bisexual women, especially trans people and trans or, people and yeah, trans, trans people of color. Women. Even though our rights were like fought for by trans women of color they Mm. were the ones that did the work and started the gay liberation movement and they've done the work for us so how can we not continue to respect them Mm. like it kills me every day but i mean i think it's like because we've just moved into such a white centric yeah like dominated field i guess industry and i think that also to bring it to capitalism like i think that the pink dollar Um, in the sense of, like, marketing to the queer community and marketing specifically to white gay men is really, like, proven profitable. Yeah. Yeah. So the rest of the community sort of gets left behind in that. Yeah. There's, like, so many, like, because me and Sophie both studied urban planning at university, there are so many, like, theories I've come up about, like, gentrification in the city Mm. and, like, cities progressing because of, like, white gay men Mm. being, like, a catalyst for change yeah but like yeah. it's always it's like it's not it's ex- always at the detriment yeah. of other communities it's not yeah. explicitly saying that it's white gay people who are doing that mm. but it's like implicit that like white gay people are the ones who are working and like making money and like creating industries mm. and being really successful yeah. like that those opportunities don't come to like people of color and yeah. queer people of color um, Unless you work four yeah. times as hard and act four times as humble. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then places like for Brisbane, places like New Farm or the Valley or West End, which would be places that are meant to be like kind of, um, what is the coin term? Gaberhoods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, where it's supposed to be like you can live in like a community that you truly are a part of. And yet it's like now it's stuck behind this paywall. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, it is. I think. And gentrified as well. And mm. so other like, and so yeah, heteros are like, this place is cool. <laughs> yeah. And I want to bring this back to like when we were talking about Sydney in the moving regional episode. Yes. Because this is my affinity to Sydney is because like these, it's just so frequently and like, openly like like white gayness in mm. brisbane mm. whereas in sydney it is still like that but it's far less like out there and boldly white but i think mm. it's also still really fucking expensive it is yeah they have like the, the paywall the whole, yeah, yeah, the whole the city's being stuck behind a paywall <laughs> yeah it's like it's more it's got marginally more diversity yeah. but the costing is still like prohibitive yeah mm. Yeah. And, like, again, that's me speaking as someone who's, like, fairly middle class. Yeah. Like, we all are. Yeah. Now. It's not like I would move to Sydney and be dying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I don't know. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, is there anything else, any final thoughts, anything that I perhaps haven't asked you that you'd want to talk about? Um, ladies, I'm single. <laughs> I just want to talk about like the queer experience in general. It's just so like diverse mm. and different. Um, I would recommend that everyone reads Growing Up Queer in yeah. Australia, which is edited by Benjamin Law, King. which is written and uh, like short stories written by multiple people, like mm. short essays, and each essay is a different story about growing up in Australia as a gay man. Because I think my experience is completely different. To like the other gay men I know, mm. and like it's you need to like learn that there are other experiences, yeah. And like being a good ally is also knowing that like everyone's different, and that you should respect that those yeah. differences. Yeah, I'd be really interested to end up like to learn more about like the way that Australia, like you know, the queer space in Australia compared to other countries like the UK or the US, mm. and like and all other countries, but like those English speaking countries do but yeah i'd be really interested to see like is it easier in australia is it harder like those are obviously very like is it harder in the regions is it harder in the capital cities is it even that much easier in a metropolitan city yeah Yeah. exactly exactly so like like i said there are so many different fucking yeah stories out Mm. there and you should there's a vast wealth of intelligent and interesting Mm. like queer stories that are australian and I think that Sally Rugg's um, book about getting uh, marriage equality over the line in Australia yeah. um, is also really worth a read. We love her. I can't remember the name of this fucking book. Sally Rugg was like, How We Won or something. We'll include a link. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose that is, again, like a small thing to indicate. And I like and thankful most days that we got um, same sex marriage over the line in Australia because yeah. if that, like, non-binding postal plebiscite if the majority was no like you know they would not consider it for another 20 years or something did you feel like dying like every day during that um plebiscite i was away so oh my god that's right you were overseas you lucky bitch you were in scotland weren't you yeah i was away it was actually really nice when it so when oh this is actually a really nice story so when the plebiscite passed i was on my couch with a friend of mine who is also a queer woman and she's from New Zealand and we both like sat there just like kind of crying yeah and then that night we went to like a big queer party and it was like really beautiful and like oh it was like I think that's also something else I've like realized is like oh sorry I've like only just really come into myself in the like last few years of my life and like yeah, I think there's a lot to go, but, like, I feel like I'm in a place in my life where I, like, feel really accepted and, like, really loved, and, like, I'm really just happy that I get to have that, because, like, so many other people don't have that, like, yeah. and, like, so, so many people might have it easier than me, but, like, also there's so many people, like, who might not have that, and they don't have, like, a supportive parent network or mm. friend network, mm. and they don't get to, like, openly be themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, friend, did you have a personal experience during the same-sex marriage vote? <sighs> well, um, like I said, my family's pretty gay. <laughs> um, so, like, there's – I have quite a few members of my family who are explicitly queer, um, but my grandmother doesn't know that. So oh. my grandmother on my mother's side, who is Italian, she lives in – she lives in Wollongong. Um, because she's, like – old <laughs> she like can't really pick up the vibe that like hmm. me and my brother are like clearly not straight <laughs> um so she's sort of like waiting for us to like bring a husband and wife home respectively um and we found out that my grandmother and my uncle both voted no um during the plebiscite and that was really hard um because it's like it's not a thing that we talked about as a family yeah. and then to find out thereafter it's like oh i can never tell her yeah she can never know um like what it's like for us that was really hard um though i again had like i had a really supportive like queer network of friends who were all struggling Mm. through the plebiscite and i there was a huge spike in queer kids seeking mental health support in that period because like we were being publicly vilified yeah Yeah. for like months it was awful yeah um but yeah, I think that sort of having, because I knew that like, 
I knew that both my parents were like wholeheartedly like, yes, of course, like queer people deserve the right to marriage. We love our children. Like it's never been a question and it was yeah. never a difficulty. And I remember uh, my uncle Michael told me um, that because like my parents are no longer together. But he's like, my biggest endorsement of your father is that he is one of the few straight men that I ever met who I always felt comfortable and accepted by and he never judged me for my sexuality. And I always mm-hmm. felt like he was earnestly my friend. Mm-hmm. That's and, lovely, but also very sad. Yeah, mm-hmm. but like to know that like there was never going to be like a tension with my father like ever about like my sexuality or like anybody else in our family. It was really beautiful because with the extended family, everything's shrouded in secrecy. Mm-hmm. And there's very much this yeah. element of like the cousins will ask like, oh, like you know is somebody gay like we think but nobody's confirming because everybody else lives regionally and it's like mm. fuck man look at us <laughs> like, look at us like obviously we're not straight but yeah I think that it's interesting because I'm in a position where my immediate family is so accepting and loving mm. and my extended family is like very much on the outer and sort of confused by the whole concept so I think the plebiscite was tough in that regard because I think that even though we won there was still an element of like fuck there are a lot of people who don't want us yeah. to exist yeah yeah but at least yes we won so we won most people mm. do which is lovely thanks please say that up besides um, also follow best of grinder on Instagram <laughs> if you want to understand the queer experience <laughs> best of grinder yeah oh. um, yeah any other final what? We've gone <gasps> a bit long. Yeah, yeah so we have gone a bit long. Where we should probably wrap it up. Yeah. And if you have any questions or like any comments, we would love to hear from yeah. you. Yeah, DM us. Because, like, ask us. Like we said, the queer, our queer experience is so different yeah. to everyone else's. And like, we want to hear those stories. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And your opinions on yeah. Call Me By Your Name. Hmm. As always, follow us on our social media channels. We are on Instagram at funemployed.pod and on Twitter at Unemployed pod. Sophie, again, you should take over that Twitter. We'll make the joke every week. (laughs) (laughs) And also, we actually haven't mentioned a feud with Unpacking Brisbane in a few weeks. Oh, yeah, hi. Um, They suck, don't listen to (laughs) them. They're garbage. By the way, they did an Insta post about why does local government exist? And when people say that, it really annoys me. It really annoys me. They fucking what? They fucking what? They did that that post on Instagram. So, Unpacking Brisbane, um, do you think that state government cares about your football? Parts? Do you think they care about traffic lights? Do you think that you do you think that they care about your rubbish bins? They do not educate yourselves. Educate yourselves. Right, bye, everyone. Bye. bye. <laughs>